and welcome to the European Football Index from the World Football Index. My name is Ben Roberts and today I'm joined by Matthias and Nima. Matthias, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me on. My name is Matthias Fuck. I am the uh, founder of the Yellow Wall Pod. It's the English language Borussia Dortmund podcast. Also do some La Liga and Bundesliga coverage for World Football Index. And Nima, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Nima Tawala-Rudsari. I work uh, on Goal.com, do a bit of transfer news and other stuff, exclusive stuff there. And also, I'm the founder of Semprinto.com. We're the uh, world's biggest uh, English news site, uh, focusing entirely on Inter Milan. Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Um, I think we'll start at the top here, and we'll start with the Liga um, and probably the, the story that... Um, has dominated uh, Europe, if not the world, um, is uh, is Barcelona and the Catalan referendum, and, and a really fraught situation over there, which which led to to Barcelona playing that game against uh, Las Palmas behind closed doors yesterday, and a and a very uncertain future. I think uh, a general strike um, going ahead tomorrow in Catalonia. Um, and I, th- I think um, Barcelona B's game uh, with another Catalan side uh, called off yesterday. What do you guys make of this situation? You want to go first, Matthias? Uh, sure. I mean, it was it was a little bit eerie. I watched the match on on BN Sports, and it was it was very weird. It seemed a lot like a training match. You would know, you know, just play, hearing players and coaches, but. You know, obviously what happened in in Barcelona with the reaction of the police enforcing the judicial order that was from the constitutional court in Spain, blocking the referendum and and that kind of spilling over into the world of sports because of Barcelona's match, uh, PK getting very, very emotional, voting and also speaking about um, voting in Catalonia and how important that is given the history of Spain over the last 80 plus years, specifically the Franco uh, regime that ended in 1975. So it, it, it got messy quickly. Pep Guardiola, Xavi as well, came out in support for the people of Catalonia and for the referendum. Whether you voted yes nor or no, it, it didn't matter. They said, you know, go out and vote and exercise a democratic right. So, yeah, the the future, we'll, we'll kind of wait and see. I know the European Union is also getting involved in telling everybody to come to some kind of an agreement on this because Spain also financially can't afford to lose 20% of uh, their domestic gross domestic domestic product, which gets produced out of Catalonia. Yeah, and I think uh, was was part of uh, PK coming out and saying that he may give up playing for Spain. Um, so just quite. Uh, this this is a mess. I mean, they it's it's it, the problem is that if you look at the devolution powers, and if you look at um, different parts of the world where where you have these. Uh, you know, movements for, uh, you know, free for separation and, and devolution. I mean, if you look at the UK, for example, the way to go about it is the way that Scotland and Wales has gone about it. The way not to go about it is the way that what's happened here in Catalonia and Spain. I mean, it's 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 basically been two two groups where have have refused to talk to each other. Then one group decides to call a uh, to call a referendum uh, and. 
<laughs> without seeking to talk with the other side, claiming that 90% of the people who have voted are, are you know, I mean, this, this has just been, you know, have voted to leave Spain. I mean, you know, it, it just doesn't work like that. You can't do it like that. And also, if you look at the how many people have you know, 40% of the people uh, who could have voted in this election took part, which means 60%. I mean, not even half of the people who were who could have voted uh, participated in this in this election, which kind of gives it very low credibility at all. And on the other hand, the overreaction from the Spanish central government sending in basically the military, the military police in there, boarding, I think, was it three giant ships that were going to be police centers, and then going in and, and quenching this, this riot or uprising as they call it. This is not the way to go about things. This is this is from both sides a completely irresponsible way of handling uh, a cry for independence or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, th th there haven't been any decent negotiations taking place. Uh, this obviously there's an aspect of you know when it comes to to the footballing side of things is okay. What's going to happen to Barcelona? What's going to happen to the players? What's going to happen to you know? Do they leave La Liga and play in the Catalonian league? Uh, what does that mean in the long run? Do, do do Catalonia have their own national team? I mean, it's just it's just complete chaos, and it was just so unnecessary to to create. I mean, it feels that the powers that be on both sides kind of wanted this confrontation in order to strengthen themselves for their own each perspective base. And in the end, you have in the middle you have a bunch of people dying and innocent people getting caught in the middle of this. So I think that this call for restraint. Uh, on behalf of the European Union and on behalf of many many uh, sides, is 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 a good call because this is not how you go about it. Yeah, it's certainly a very fraught situation. I think on the footballing side, there, from what I can understand, um, were at, at some point in the future, um, Catalonia to to have independence. At the moment, the, the constitution of La Liga wouldn't allow that, but I guess that could be amended. Um, I think the, there's Andorran teams that, that do play in La Liga, um, so that would suggest that that, that could be amended. Um, Barcelona, um, people have predicted a, a mini-crisis at the beginning of this season, and clearly there's, there's still stuff going on at, at board level um, at the Camp Nou that would suggest uh, that, that changes could be afoot there but uh, Barcelona starting the season much more strongly than, than people had, had been expecting what, what do you guys make of that? Well I mean it's still an incredibly good team and you can't forget yeah you don't have Neymar but you still have Messi and Suarez isn't having the best season but other people are picking up um, the pieces and playing well Real Madrid haven't had a good start to the season. Atletico are also kind of sleepwalking to a certain degree. You know, Sevilla sit in second, but they're also not really clicking if you watch their matches. So it's still a really, really, really good team. Uh, you know, I, losing one cog, if they would have lost Messi and Busquets, you know, more central figures like that, I think it would have been a bigger crisis for the club. But losing Neymar, even though PR-wise it wasn't great, of course, but you obviously see that they've got a 100% record. They are seven points now clear of Real Madrid. So Real Madrid, if they want to win La Liga, pretty much have to win both Clásicos and hope for 
two or three more stumbles from Barcelona along the way because Real Madrid will most likely have some stumbles themselves because they also have to play Atletico Madrid. Mm, and Atletico looking incredibly strong and, and we'll be having Diego Costa, hopefully, a, well, from their point of view, hopefully a, a, a fit Diego Costa um, joining them uh, or p- being uh, permitted to play for them uh, after Christmas. Um, Madrid looking, you know, is the panic over at Madrid? Beat Espanyol at the weekend, um, having had quite a, a shaky start. And do we do we see any problems on the horizon uh, for uh, for Real Madrid, or or uh, or do we think uh, that that uh, that that that, uh, that wobble has been steadied now? I mean, for me, the way I look at it is that. Um, the reason that Barcelona have started well the La, Liga, the La Liga season and also the Champions League is because Lionel Messi has been in great form, whereas Real Madrid are a fantastic team. It's a team that's built uh, the way that Zidane has transformed them since taking over. Uh, he's built a team, uh, and Barcelona are too much of a one-man show. Um, so whether or not, I mean... Lionel Messi has the talent to carry you that far. He really does. There's no doubt about that. But whether or not he can, you know, if this is enough to win the La Liga, if this is enough to, to how far they'll get in the Champions League, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I just don't see them. Maybe I, I can definitely see them winning La Liga, but I don't see them winning, you know, getting to the final of the Champions League or winning the Champions League because I think that there are much better teams out there, uh, collectively speaking. Um, but when in terms of the La Liga, I mean, they are, they do have the quality, and Messi has the quality and the routine to guide this team uh, to a championship. No doubt about that. Even if they do lose, the the you know, I, I, even if they were to lose two Clásicos, which is I, I don't think it'll happen. I think it'll it'll be much tighter than that. Um, I I still don't. I, for me personally, I feel that Real Madrid aren't putting focus into the league. Uh, as much as uh, I, I think their their focus is on the Champions League. Yeah, and looking, you know, to make that historic third Champions League. Obviously, in the pre-Champions League era, Madrid, uh, the record hold, European Cup record holders. There, I think was it was it five in the in the fifties yeah. at, at the the sort of uh, the birth, uh, the early years of of the European Cup, and and you know, looking, I think I made a prediction. Um, on this very podcast a few weeks ago, uh, that uh, that Real Madrid. I mean, I, I just I just can't see anybody um, being in being Real Madrid um, to to that third. You don't think so? I think I, I got to be honest with you. I think there's a couple of teams out there that I, for me, it's PSG are looking damn good. Uh, I, I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, Bayern Munich, you know. We, we, we've been here before with Bayern Munich. You can never count them out. Uh, they're not looking good now, but there's there's still a six, seven, eight months left until when, when they have to be at their best. And Bayern Munich certainly have the quality uh, to, to be there. And then you have um, uh, Manchester United, who are my dark horse to win the Champions League this season. I think I think there's there are quite a few teams. And then Atletico Madrid, after January, when you have Diego Costa back, uh, Griezmann Costa, uh, Diego Simeone, we know that he can do good things in the Champions League.
league. So I, I wouldn't. I've, obviously, Real Madrid are the favourites, but um, I, 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 for me, I, I do see that there are several teams that could threaten them, with Paris Saint Germain right now leading that pack. Interesting there that you mentioned Paris Saint Germain, perhaps. Uh, our cue to move north over the Pyrenees and into Ligue 1. Um, and uh, so Neymar scoring twice for PSG this weekend as they beat Bordeaux. Uh, they're unstoppable, aren't they? Um, it's, it's, it's their title. Oh, it's, I mean, it's so one-sided. It, it's so weighed towards them. It's not even funny anymore. I mean, it's, uh, I can't really think of a league in Europe where it's this extreme of a weight. I mean, maybe, maybe Scotland with Celtic, I would but even say there. I would say Scotland because they won like, I think they won everything that you can yeah. win domestically for the past like four or five years. I mean, but I wouldn't even, but I'd say PSG are, are just even a little bit more because, mm. you know, Monaco has some money, but Monaco basically have, you know, they're losing all their players. So, you know, PSG can just outspend anybody every time. But isn't that a little bit what you have in Germany as well with with Bayern Munich? What is it? Five years in a row now that they won. I mean, it's 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 just they're they're. I, I know what you're saying. Uh, obviously, it just becomes so much more clearer in the Ligue 1 because of uh, how PSG operate. Uh, and how they, how they, I mean, this year with Mbappé and Neymar, that's just, you know, they, they basically, I mean, when you pay two, was it 200 million euros just like that to get Neymar, uh, you know, you just activate his minimum release fee, you know, that, 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 that just makes it so much more clear that they have a lot of money and they want to win the Champions League. They want to become the next superpower in the world. And, and they're working hard on that. So uh, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but yeah, I think I think when Slatan was there a couple of seasons ago, they won, they won the French Cup, the French League Cup, the French League, and the French Super Cup, and that was the first time that that's ever happened in a calendar yeah. year. I, I definitely see them doing that this year, and I definitely see them. But but for them, the the Champions League is where it's at. Um, they want to win everything that they're playing this se- this season, and. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them. I think they're looking really, really good. I think they've got a, uh, they've got a, they've got a really balanced team. They have a, they have a, they have players, world class players on every single position, and and they, they seem to be much more of a homogenous team than anything else before. Maybe question marks for if if uh, Unai Emery is the coach to kind of get these superstars to work together. Uh, we've already seen a little bit of trouble between Neymar and Cavani. You know, if if they were to fail, I'd, I'd put it down to that. But other than that, um, I, I find them... I mean, Mbappé, I, <laughs> this kid is unbelievable. He's so damn good. And they have midfield with, you know, with Verratti and Thiago Motta and Rabiot. I mean, it, it, it's, it's looking really good. It's looking really, really good. I think that's that's very perceptive, what you said there about Unai Emery. Uh, you know, last season, they looked perhaps, especially in Europe, um, where it really mattered, they looked a bit one-dimensional tactically. Um, now they've got um, that, that sort of counter-attacking side to them, probably the best counter-attacking side in Europe. But it is, it is can he manage uh, this, this group of players, um, you know, some of whom... 
you know, uh, p- perhaps see themselves as, as as bigger bigger than him and bigger than PSG, um, and and you've got that Brazilian clique going on there. So we we've got probably PSG uh, dominating domestically, quite possibly in Europe. Monaco second. Who do we think will come third? Who will be the best of the rest in Liga this season? I think Nantes. Nantes is looking really good. They've had a great start to the season. Nice, although they're not looking really strong, I'd say they they got a great coach in Lucien Favre, and then they have Mr. Balotelli, Schneider. You know, they, they've got some good players. Uh, but right now, I would say if you were to if I were to put any money on it, I, I'd put my money on Nantes. Actually, I think Nantes are looking really good. I think the only concern I'd have with Nantes is they're not exactly very prolific when it comes to scoring goals. They're good defensively. I mean, you just just look at the the results so far. You know, uh, Marseille, who sit in third right now, have conceded twelve goals, whereas Nantes have only score uh, have only conceded five. But Marseille have scored fifteen. Nantes have only scored six. Yeah. So that that would be my my concern with Nantes. Uh, same, you know, Marseille defensively is a crapshoot, just like Bordeaux is. Um, I mean, it's kind of like either teams score a lot and concede a lot, or they don't score and don't concede uh, outside well, of the top two. The problem with uh, the the interesting thing there with Marseille is, uh, I mean, if you have, they have, uh, they've got um, Rudy Garcia as their coach. And this guy, you know, when he was at Roma, he doesn't know how to defend. His no. teams do not know how to defend. His teams have always relied on the fact to, uh, on how to, you know, lose, concede three, but at least score four. Like it's, the like kind of, the, it's like Zenek uh, Zeman. I was just going to say the Zenek <laughs> Zeman school, the Bielsa school of uh, football that, that I just detest pers- on a personal level. Um, but uh, no, I agree with you. I mean, and also Marseille have have a rich uh, ba- owner to back them up, and it's it's a big it's a big classic club. Um, you know, they do have some big good players. I mean, Dimitri Payet, fantastic player, Lucas Ocampos, Florian Tavo, Luis Gustavo, Roland. I mean, they, they do have a good team, and I I I I would on paper go for Marseille. It's just Marseille if they can put all the craziness behind them and the. <laughs> turbulence behind that that's the thing you got to have one season a, a continuous season where they don't have chaos and if they can do that then it's not there's no doubt that it's uh, marseille but nantes are looking really really good looking really solid and I, and i like what i see uh, i watched them play against mets this weekend and, and i really liked what i saw they looked really 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 solid um and, and as a team and and uh, so no, uh, th- that's why I said them. But I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that it's uh, it should be Marseille, no doubt about yeah. that. This this league should be a league that is dominated by PSG, Monaco, and Marseille. Like if we're honest about it, and and Lyon, it should be the top four year after year after year. There should be a clear top four, and it should be those four. Yeah, yeah, and and one note on Nice. You know, coming with my my Bundesliga background, obviously Lucien Favre is somebody you saw a lot in the Bundesliga, whether it was at Hertha or at Mönchengladbach. He he does lose his luster after a season or two quite often with clubs. And I, I feel like that second season syndrome with him at Nice is something that's, 
you know, you're, you're kind of seeing right now a little bit. Um, so I, I think they could still challenge for Europe, but I don't think they're going to push for third. No, I agree with that. I think they, you know, the, the team doesn't look hungry anymore, if that makes sense. I mean, I watched them play against Marseille and they looked really, uh, at times they looked disinterested. And, and that, that to me uh, is, is quite a dangerous thing to see in a team. Uh, returning uh, briefly to, to matters uh, surrounding the field in France, uh, I saw the headlines and, and I don't know if either of you guys can fill me in on this, but uh, the Amiens v Lille game was abandoned after, uh, was it a barrier collapsing? Um, mm-hmm. what, was, yeah. what was going on there? Uh, from the video that I saw, because I, I didn't see it on television, but from the video I saw, it seemed like the the fans rushed forward in celebration and just the pressure on the barrier, it gave away and everybody spilled down off of the stand. Um, I mean, the, the advantage they have, it was all the way at the bottom. It, this could have turned into a complete catastrophe. It would have been a higher terrace or tier or something than it. Then, then we would have talked about a number of people probably dying from this, whereas we're talking about injuries. So it was horrific to see, especially nowadays. It's not something you really expect anymore in in uh, European football. But thankfully, it wasn't as bad as it really could have been. Thankfully, indeed, yeah. Thankfully that there was no. Uh... Uh, wasn't a serious catastrophe or any loss of life is this um does this tell us anything about about sort of safety in in the french game is it is it up there with the sort of premier league uh were, were those changes you know that that we saw after the taylor report in the uk is is france a comparable level there i i'd assume so I think uh, I mean Amiens. Uh, Amiens is a is a really really tiny stadium. It's a really tiny place. It's got like a twelve thousand capacity uh, that stadium. So it is a really tiny stadium. I think it's really it's pretty old as well, from what I've understood. Um, it's it's. Uh, I mean, well, it's uh, it was built in 1990. It was opened, refurbished, or built in 1999. So it, it this shouldn't have really happened. But it's not really. Um, it shouldn't have really. Uh, it, it shouldn't have happened. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, but but I mean, I, I think that France has got, uh, like you said, and Germany as well. I think the Premier League in Germany, Bundesliga, and and uh, Ligue 1 are in the forefront when it comes to good stadiums, secure stadiums. Um, okay, uh, moving on, continuing with our theme of uh, mountain ranges this week. Let's move uh, south over the Alps um, and this uh, weekend in Serie A we had Atalanta holding Juventus to a draw. Um, did this come as a surprise? Um, I think what surprised me the most was how I'm really, there, there are two teams that I'm so, so incredibly impressed by and in the Serie A right now. One is Atalanta and the other one is Lazio. But if we focus on Atalanta, the way they came back, I mean, they were hit by a double salvo by by Juventus, Bernardeschi and Higuain just boomed a goal, a fantastic goal. And then, but the way that Atalanta play, the patience they have and the, 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 the they're so cool. They they just continue doing what they what they believe in. And Caldara, who who is owned by Juventus, who who plays for Atalanta, is an Atalanta own product. Who 
will be going to Juventus either this summer or the next. Uh, he, he's as he's owned by them. He scores and he celebrates, uh, and and that 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 in and of itself is a is a sign of health in Italian football uh, for, for 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 many reasons. But also the way that Atalanta played, the way Papu Gomez. You know, controls this team on the pitch, and the way the midfield and the way the fullbacks attack—it's—it's it's a Atalanta right now are such an interesting team to watch, and it's going to be—I can't wait to see how far they can go in the Europa League because I think—I uh, mean—they completely destroyed Everton at home, um, and and they—they are—they've always been like that. Atalanta have always been—I mean, when Atalanta at home at the Stadio Atleti di Azzurri. That's a, they can beat anyone at home. They really can. They play, they they act and play with a complete different mentality uh, that, that they don't use when they're away. Uh, when they're away, they they show that they're a small provincial team uh, from the north of Italy. But at home, they play. They can beat anyone, and they can dictate the match against anyone. And they showed that against Juventus. But it was so strong to come back two 0 down. Uh, against the Juve at home, and to get that two-two, and then have uh, Berisha save a goal, uh, save a penalty as well. No, it, it was it was a fantastic performance by Gasparini's men. So we're lucky to have two Serie A aficionados um, uh, today. So um, just talking a little bit um, too about Napoli's 100% start. Is is this something uh, that that either of you had foreseen? Um, I, I think. Um, I'd heard sort of predictions uh, very, very, very early in the season that they could be a dark horse, perhaps even a dark horse um, in Europe. Um, but but they're really uh, uh, they're really making this really appear to be making this a contest. Um, can we can we see them uh, continuing in in this sort of rich way? I mean, <laughs> I don't trust them enough. <laughs> you know, I, I love watching them play. I, they're obviously a great start. I figured they'd have, they'd, they'd be the most likely candidate to really push Juve over the course of the season. But I just don't trust them enough to keep it up over the long haul because we're only talking seven matches in. I mean, we still have 31 more to go. Um, and I just... You know, Juve just seem to always have that steady pace about them because they're only two points behind. That's nothing, especially this early in the stage. So whereas I think Napoli is most likely to really push Juve this season, I just don't trust them enough just yet to say, yes, they can win Serie A. I have uh, Napoli before the season. I, I had them as the winners of the Serie A this season. Uh, for me, they're the favorites together with Juventus. I think they're... They're they're the two teams that have uh, that have the biggest quality in terms of width uh, and in terms of continuity on the bench. Uh, both coaches, I think Maurizio Sarri, I, in my opinion, Napoli play the best uh, and the most uh, most uh, fun football, the most entertaining football in all of Europe. I think Sarri Sarri would be the perfect coach for Barcelona if they were if they wanted to renew but still continue in their tradition uh, Maurizio Sarri plays a football that is you know Sarri football is this, the movement they have I mean I saw them against watched them against Cagliari it, it's just the movement 11 players moving around 
and switching positions and the ball as if it's going on a string between them. It's so, so beautiful to watch. I think Napoli are the favorites together with Juve, as I said, and I have them as number one because I think that Juve, Juve are going through a little bit of a identity crisis of a miniature identity crisis with Bonucci leaving with you know Allegri staying they they have a situation where they need to rip, you know Barzagli and Chiellini aren't getting any younger Buffon this is his last season the, the, it's the changing of the guards at Juve and this is not a good enough this is not a Juve that's good enough that's as good as they were last season where they went to the Champions League final. I mean, remember, Juventus have dominated Italian football for six years now. I think, you know, they've won the Coppa Italia. I mean, basically, the, out of the three uh, titles you can win at the highest level in, uh, in, in, in Italy, Juventus have won, I mean, aside from Napoli twice and, and Napoli and Lazio once, uh, that's, Juve have just had a clean, clean sweep these past five, six seasons. Uh, of every single title of Italian Cups and the Serie A and the Super Cup. So Juve have completely dominated, uh, PSG dominated uh, the Serie A and Italy for these past six seasons. But now it is a little bit of changing of the guards. This is the last season of many of them. Bonucci already left. Uh, Barzali is probably going to retire at the end of this. Bon- uh, Buffon has already said he has. I think that kind of leaves a little mark in this. There's a, there, is a, there is an aspect of insecurity in that. And I think that, um, you know, Dybala, you know, giving him the number 10, giving him the number 10 jersey and building the the, 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 future, the, Juve, the future of Juve around him is a completely the correct thing to do. He's a fantastic, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. But I this season, I don't see Napoli as a dark horse in Europe. This season is all about the Serie A title for them. Uh, they'll they'll probably they'll probably make it through to the uh, you know to the second round of the Champions League, but I don't see them going for the Champions League the same way that they're going to go for the Serie A. And the per the perfect start they have is is I would say pretty pretty expected because they haven't really faced off with any great teams so far. Uh, it will start soon when they play. Um, they play Inter uh, in two rounds. Next next round is the derby, the, Italian, the Milanese derby, and then it's uh, Napoli uh, against Inter. And then from then on, as uh, Marcello Lippi so famously once said, the Serie A really begins on the 10th, 9th, 10th, 11th day. Um, for me, I, I, I think this is a two-horse race. I, I don't see anyone threatening Juve and Napoli. And I think that Napoli will write history uh, in May when winning the Serie A for the first time since the days of Maradona. That would be some achievement and some turn up and, and probably very good for the for the improving uh, state of Serie A and Italian football. Um, something I'd, I'd uh, heard a, a little about, but but I can't say that I know a great deal and, and perhaps one or both of you guys can, can enlighten me here is some whispers about Serie A um, contracting again to, to 18 teams. Is that likely to happen um, next season, the season after? I don't know how likely it is at this point, but I know looking at some of the clubs that are in there, it's probably something that could really help. Uh, Benevento, probably the the most... I guess the biggest example of that right now, even though they didn't do too poorly against Inter on the weekend, um, you know, people are saying uh, the quality of the league is suffering because of the size of it, because you just don't have the breadth 
of strength that say an equal sized league like the Premier League, where you have even the the, the middle rung and, and lower clubs have some clout and power that they can always turn things around. I think in Italy, as is in Spain, that size can hurt them a little bit. I know in Germany, in the Bundesliga, they talked about it once and immediately and dismissed it pretty quickly because of because of that. I, I guess it would be like for for those smaller clubs, it'd be like turkeys voting for Christmas, but. Um, has this situation come about? Uh, 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 am I wrong in thinking that over the last few seasons there's been clubs that have have come up with or sort of double promotions, so they've got promoted kind of two successive seasons and kind of almost overshot themselves, um, and then ended up in Serie A and thought uh, we've grown too quickly here. Is that would that be a fair assessment? Well, I mean, I know when Carpi came up. I don't remember who it was, what what club president basically said, you know, along the lines of a club like this shouldn't be in Serie A. They can't be competitive. Um, so, but then you also have situations like Sassuolo who come up as a smaller club and, and really do something, but that's because they're also approaching it a little bit differently. But I think it's a league that could benefit from a little bit of a contraction. I agree. I think... Uh... Uh, I mean, when we say that the Serie A, the level has improved, uh, From when I talk, when I say it, we, uh, yes, I think the Serie A has improved. I think the level of the top teams has improved. I think the level of the middle teams, uh, the middle league team, the middle table teams, mid-table teams has improved. But if you look at the bottom, bottom, bottom four, bottom five, it's atrocious. It's absolutely atrocious. It's, it's the lowest ebb that we've ever seen this, the bottom teams of the Serie A been ever, in my opinion. I mean, back in the day when we had Perugia and we had like, uh, Cremonese, you know, you had you had decent players in those teams. Now it's it is 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 so poor that it, I think that 18 teams is is the way to go. I think we need to get back to 18 teams. I think that this league is this league unfortunately has had and has at least two. Two teams too much, too many in it. But I think you could say the same for a lot of leagues if you look at it that way. I mean, the bottom of the of the league A or the bottom of the Bundesliga or or the bottom of La Liga. I mean, it depends on what you're comparing with. I mean, I'm comparing the Serie A with with itself, and in my opinion, I think that the Serie A would 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 benefit from from maybe to to from from going down to eight from twenty to eighteen teams. Yeah, and and I agree, and I agree also with La Liga. La Liga have, in my opinion, far too many "quote unquote" cannon fodder clubs who are just there to supply points to Real Madrid and Barcelona. I mean, it's non-competitive, and if you contract that even just by two clubs, you see a huge upgrade in quality, at least on the competitiveness overall within the league. Yeah, interesting. And, and and just in terms of the Bundesliga, um, mm-hmm. moving moving north once again, um, do we do we think the Bundesliga is is a healthy size, healthy competition there? You know, from a size standpoint, yeah. Um, what what helps that like the promoted sides this season were Hannover and Stuttgart, who are bigger clubs with more money. When clubs like Paraborn, Unterhaching, Kreuterführt, Darmstadt get promoted. Cool story. Probably going to get relegated right away. And with Fürth and um, 
with Parabon, that was the case. Darmstadt was able to survive another season against all the odds because of the way they played. Um, you know, I think top to bottom, it's a very competitive league because any week anybody can take points off one another. I mean, we've seen Bayern drop points twice now in a row after 2-0 leads, which they basically never do. And even Dortmund getting pushed by Augsburg, only having a draw against 10 men Freiburg, um, and then Freiburg beating Hoffenheim. So there is that level of anybody can kind of beat anybody on a, on a good day. Um, you know, to a degree, you sometimes have that in the Premier League. Uh, so I would say right now the Bundesliga internally, obviously not in Europe, <laughs> internally is probably the strongest and the most interesting it is. And also because Bayern are in kind of a mid crisis at this point, which makes it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. I'd like to, to stay with Bayern actually and, and how we see Bayern's post Ancelotti future. And, and, you know, are they going to, are they going to make a, a long-term replacement in the next few days, the next few weeks, or are they going to, Put an interim guy in there, or keep um, uh, keep the, the, the current interim coach in there, and then give Nagelsmann a, a, a sort of a clean slate next summer. Is that is that how we see things unfolding there? I think what's happening in Bayern Munich is very interesting. Um, I was very surprised to see to see uh, to see them sack Ancelotti the way they did because. Um, I, 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 first of all, I was I thought it was a good appointment because uh, Ancelotti is very good at uh, getting without you know he he's always done this before at other clubs he's, he 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 can come in there and he take what I mean in terms of the players he's got there and get them to perform as good as they can. Uh, at uh, I think what's happened here at Bayern Munich is that there's. There's, there's a lot of players that are at the end of their, like we talked about Juventus, uh, you know, the changing of the guards. You know, you, you have uh, Robin and Ribéry who are singing their maybe their final verses in term, you know, and they're supposed to still be the team players that, you know, that 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 carry this team. You have a Dala, you have Alaba, who, who I don't understand what's happened to him in these past few seasons. He hasn't, uh, the, the Pep, the Pep Guardiola. Uh, coaching method that hasn't suited him because I think he's taken taken steps back in his development. You, you know, you have you have. I, I, it feels that this team is a little bit stagnated. And Ancelotti, before in his career, has been very good at taking, you know, a, a, a team that might have stagnated a little bit and get them to dance one, you know, one last time. At Bayern, it hasn't worked. Um, from what I've understood, it's uh, he 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 has not got the support of the dressing room, which is something that has never happened to him before in his career. Um, you know, every everywhere he's been, he's always had the dressing room with him. I think Ibrahimovic who described him as as a father-like figure, and that's very strange. Slata never talks like that about anyone. He talks about coaches as as you know can get them to that can challenge him. But never on a human level, uh, how Ancelotti uh, almost is like a father to him, uh, and he's not the only one. I think we Chelsea the first season you saw there too, that when they broke every record, they won the only double they've ever won in their history, domestic double that is. Um, and Milan, he's done that for almost a decade. It's it's very interesting um, what's happened there with Ancelotti. I I find it a bit rash. Um, I find that the problems at Bayern Munich were were not 
at the bench. I think there, there, there were other problems at Bayern Munich, maybe in terms of how they handled their summer transfer window. Uh, he wanted to renew, he wanted to get rid of players and bring in new players to build something new. Bayern declined. So I'm, I'm really su- surprised uh, at what happened here. But um, this leaves a window of opportunity for other teams, for your Borussia Dortmund, for example, um, who can, who, who's always been, you know, kind of who've always timed their, uh, it seems that Borussia has always timed their peaks when Bayern are at their, are kind of going down downhill. So we'll see what happens this time around. And I, I, I'm a bit surprised that they sacked Ancelotti so quickly. I, I don't see them appointing their permanent uh, successor now. I think we'll, we'll probably wait until the summer. I think we're talking about an interim manager to kind of take this home for the season and then appoint someone more permanent in the summer. I don't know. What do you think, Matthias? You know, I mean, right now, Willy Sagnol, who's obviously also a Bayern quote-unquote legend, has won things with them in the past. And Xavi um, Hamidzic is their sporting director. You know, it's also old-school Bayern club. Uli Hoeneß guys. Um, <laughs> the, the, the issues for Ancelotti, in my opinion, started when Paul Clement got the job at Swansea and he lost his tactical mind because Ancelotti isn't a tactician. He admits that even himself. He's not a, a super tactician. Um, and, and I think things started to decline there. You already saw problems when guys like Xabi Alonso and Philip Lahm went to Romanega and said, we're not happy with the training. It's not intense enough for us to play at our highest levels. Now, obviously, they came from Pep Guardiola, who demanded a lot in training at all the time. And so, you know, I always say you don't want to be the guy after the guy. It's kind of like with Thomas Tuchel coming after Jürgen Klopp. You know, two great years, two very good years for Dortmund, but he was the guy after the guy, and, and that's what Ancelotti is. Ancelotti actually isn't the guy after the guy. He's the guy before the guy. <laughs> in this exactly. case, um, exactly. build, building his n- house on Ancelotti's land, uh, effectively. Yeah, ba- basically. And the problem is, if I don't see them hiring Thomas Tuchel now, I may be wrong. If they hire Thomas Tuchel now, it will not be Nagelsmann this summer. Thomas Tuchel will not sign a contract just for this season as an interim thing, even to try to kind of recover his image that was tarnished after after getting sacked at Dortmund because he lost the dressing room and the board and he was a very confrontational coach because he believes he's the smartest man in the room and a lot of people tend to not like that uh, um, so I've been told haha um, <laughs> uh, no but if it is if it is Tuchel I would say it's not going to be Nagelsmann at least this next summer maybe the summer after that I, I'd say stick with Willy Sagnol right now, who actually wasn't a bad manager at Bordeaux in Ligue 1. He knows the club. He understands Ali Hamidzic and Hoeneß and Rummenigge. They'll still qualify for the Champions League. I think they still have a decent shot at winning the Bundesliga title, even though Sagnol said we are not the strongest club in Germany anymore. Speaking of who, uh, that's, that's surely your Borussia Dortmund. and Is this their time? Uh, well, if not now, when kind of a thing, you know, I mean, if I think, uh, as was said about Napoli, Dortmund are focusing all on the league right now, 
You know, like Napoli is focusing on the league because Juve is a little bit of a downturn. Bayern in a clear downturn. Dortmund, they're not going to win the, the the Champions League. There's no illusions in that case. They, they'd they still like to progress out of the group, which is going to be incredibly hard. But it's all about the Bundesliga now. And this last weekend, they won the kind of match that you have to win to be a champion, where you may not be the best team. But somehow you grind out that result against a very difficult opponent, an uncomfortable opponent like Augsburg. And they did it. It's the kind of match they would have lost under Tuchel, is my opinion, that they have lost under Tuchel in the past. And they managed to get that win. And that was a big, big, big win. If they would have drawn or lost the match against Augsburg, that that would have killed the momentum. And then I think Bayern would have just rolled on eventually. What's the situation? I mean, we know Royce is injured again, but what's the situation with Goethe? I think they're just giving him a break because obviously with his health issues he had last season and the amount of matches that Dortmund now had to play in the last two and a half, three weeks where they're basically playing a match every two, three days, uh, he just needed a break. And that's why he's not playing for Germany. That was discussed with Joachim Löw. And he just needed a little bit of a breather because he's also been playing really, really well. Um, he was by far the best player on the pitch against Real Madrid. Um, and every match, he's pretty much been the best player. So he just they're just giving him a little bit of a break because they got to manage him, his time and his health. Because he's still really, really young and you don't want him to be burnt out already when it's still a really long season. Mm. So if we see perhaps uh, Dortmund winning the Bundesliga... Uh, we still see Bayern probably coming in second. Who who else is going to fill out the Champions League places? Are we allowed uh, to call them Red Bull Leipzig, or where are we supposed to call them? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's technically still Rasenballsport Leipzig, but everybody okay. knows it's. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be them. I think it's uh, Leipzig. Uh, they, 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 I think they got a good team and. Uh, they, they, they've managed to keep a lot of their... I mean, Kate, is, is Nabi Keita leaving in the summer, isn't he, for Liverpool? Yeah. Isn't yeah. that decided? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. but he's staying, staying this season. So I think he'll be able to bring them, you know, to third. Uh, so for me, it's Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, I'd say the same thing. Maybe Hoffenheim, yes, they did lose, but everybody loses. Leipzig lost. So I think Hoffenheim will push them a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if Schalke somehow get clicking a little bit more and they also challenge in the top four. But yeah, I think Leipzig will will be number three. I I gotta say I I think this this time around if if uh, I mean Dortmund's finances is really good now. I, but I I mean looking at the squad and also the way that Dortmund bring bringing young players um, from everywhere. Uh, I think you guys have a really good chance this time around to to threaten uh, Bayern Munich because not only have you gotten back all your players, you've you've also got Schirle. I mean, Alexander Isak was one of the most exciting strike, uh, young players in the world. It feels that this 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 um, Dortmund team is is it's never been better equipped or Dortmund as a club has never been better equipped in its history to challenge uh, Bayern Munich in Germany. How do you look at that? Yeah, I mean, obviously we we won back-to-back titles plus a double um, under Jurgen Klopp. And that was, especially the double-winning side, was extremely good. And Bayern were also in a rebuilding phase again at that point. And I think we're at that point here too. But if if Dortmund can kind of get ahead just a little bit, this could be 
more than just maybe winning the Bundesliga one season. It could be, you know, more battling with Bayern and, and having that that race be tighter for a few more seasons. But if Nagelsmann comes in, I actually suspect Bayern are going to have another three, four season romp of the Bundesliga, unfortunately. So you rate Nagelsmann that much, do you? Yes. Yeah, what he's been able to do at Hoffenheim, not just previous season, but this season after losing arguably their two best players in Rudi and Zule, he is really, really good. And I actually think he could do incredibly well um, with Bayern. But he's so young. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, Bayern. I mean, the thing is, we, we look at we talk about Bayern Munich. You got Uli Hoeneß, you got uh, Rummenigge, you got all these old guys, these 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 old colossus of German football, and these guys have a lot of. I mean, I just don't think that Uli Hoeneß, what is he, sixty or Rummenigge, fifty? I mean, thirty-year-old Nagelsmann comes up and tells these guys what to do. I just, I just don't see them take. Him seriously, mind you, he was he was pretty forthright a few weeks ago after after Hoffenheim had got the result against Bayern. You know, the way he kind of spoke about, well, you know, um, I'm building a house in Munich. Uh, you know, all of that sort of quite strident, quite uh, assertive language. Um, you know, he he clearly realizes the, the the talent he's got, and and perhaps that 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 bodes well. Um, should should he move to Bayern? No, I mean I mean just like the you know, I mean I'm, the relationship because I mean I'm fascinated by uh, Bayern Munich and and Rummenigge and Hernes and Beckenbauer before him, and and you know the way that that club functions it is quite fascinating club. I just don't see how a thirty year old how they will take him seriously. You know what I mean? That kind of, those those guys have all been molded in the, by FCB tradition, the, the FCB, you know, you work your way up and, and even if they bring him on, I'm just wondering what kind of a mandate do you think he will have? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a matter of, is this something that they were building? Cause they always talked about their plan. You know, they brought in Heinkes then they brought in Guardiola Ancelotti kind of the stopgap. I think the the vision was always going towards first Thomas Tuchel and now more Julian Nagelsmann. But it's still that, I guess, Pep Guardiola-esque type manager. And Mm -hmm. and either one of those are basically the German version of Pep Guardiola. Why Why not Klopp? Um, I think there's a little bit of bad blood from the past and Klopp um, his style of football is is different, I think, than what they necessarily want. Plus, I don't really see Klopp leaving voluntarily under his own volition, Liverpool at this point, to go to Bayern. No. So I think no. that wraps up um, what I like to think of as uh, the main course of today's podcast, the, the, the sort of four major uh, continental European leagues and move into the, the dessert section. And we're uh, blessed, lucky enough to have uh, Nima um, with us today, uh, Swedish. Um, so uh, let's, let's just, uh, just dip our toe into the, the Swedish league. And can you tell us a bit about what's going on there at the moment? Perhaps a, well, the, a league that people the, are less familiar with. Yeah, no, the Swedish league uh, doesn't do a... The Swedish uh, Allsvenskan doesn't do um, 
our season begins in April and ends in uh, October due to the Swedish winter. We don't have the the, the same season that uh, most European countries has, where it begins in August and ends in May. You play through February, December, November, January, February. You can't do that in Sweden. It just doesn't work for 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 climate issues. Um, but it, other than that, we have uh, the the past few. Uh, giants of the past few seasons, Malmö FF, who are storming towards another league win. Um, this season, they've been they've been uh, tracked by Yuri Gordon, who brought home Alexander Isaksson, uh, and they've brought home uh, no, Andreas Isaksson, sorry, and Kim Shellstrom uh, and Jonas Olsson from West Bromwich. Uh, they've kind of gone that route and built it on uh, their on, on former national team players, and they're second. Um, but no it's it's uh, it's Malmö FF who are right now the they 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 they're they're storming towards another league title uh who, i think it'll be their 20th or their 21st uh, uh in their history and they have together with IFK Gothenburg been the site been the team that uh, be, that have dominated uh, Swedish football through through history um, there's a bit of a scandal going on right now because of a player in Malmö FF who's been arrested but released in suspicion of um, of a sexual assault on a minor. He's been released. There's a uh, the, there's a police investigation ongoing. No trial has been held there. But yeah, no, uh, it's it's uh, it's um, it's 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 Malmö FF. They're dominating right now and. Uh, they, it's also the team that Slatan Ibrahimovic. That's the city he comes from. It's the team he, he he's come from. So uh, it's it's interesting. We'll see what happens. But uh, right now it's dominated by Malmo. But uh, I think if you ask me, the most in, most interesting and most uh, the team that I find the most interesting to follow is is Östersund, who are who are doing nothing more than a miracle uh, in uh, the Europa League. Uh, beating teams with budgets 10, 15, 20 times their size. They're run by an Englishman called Graham Potter. I was going to say, who, is this the the, uh, the only side in European competition with an English manager? Yes, it is actually. Graham Potter, yeah. He he's um, he's uh, he basically came to Östersund a uh, long time ago and basically has built this team slowly and, and surely uh, and now they they they're they're absolutely fantastic uh, and, and he's built a very young team um, he's built a very interesting team uh, basically this Estesund in its current form was created in 1996 when local three local clubs merged together to create a uh, one club in the city to kind of be able to establish and 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 to, to bring themselves up to the top tiers of Swedish football and they managed to do that uh, and uh, so since then you know they've had uh, Graham Potter who's slowly and surely built this team uh, from scratch he's brought in players that might not have worked talented players who might not have worked in uh, other clubs uh, and, and he's kind of built uh, a, a fantastic uh, unit uh, where they are very solid in defense 
and very, very, very dangerous when going forward. They, they're not a boring kind of long ball 4-4-2 team. They, they actually play really good football. They play tactic, technical football, but they're very disciplined and they're very uh, organized and, and they're really, really fun to watch. So uh, whoever's, um, you know, if you got a chance to see them, I mean, they, they beat Hertha Berlin at home, I think, this last time, uh, thanks to a penalty. Uh, so... If you if you have a chance, I mean, they've got uh, Athletic Bilbao and uh, Luhansk from uh, Zorya Luhansk from Ukraine, so they, they're not in an easy group for a Swedish minnow team to to come. But they they haven't conceded a goal and they've won both of their matches and they're playing Athletic Bilbao uh, next. So we'll see we'll see what happens there. But I mean, if there is one team to that you should follow, because basically it's it's so they're so tiny. Uh, and this is a team that was in this form was created in um, in 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 uh, in uh, 1996. Uh, I mean, they only came to the Swedish top tier in 2016. That was the first time they've ever played in the Swedish top tier. And then they won, yeah, and then they won the Swedish Cup, which uh, that season. <laughs> and then that's why they managed to come to the to, to you know to come to uh, Europe. Uh, so it's it's a very interesting it's a very interesting uh, club. Well, I always love rooting for an underdog. So uh, thanks, Nima, for that that uh, enlightening snapshot of the Swedish league. There, uh, Matthias, as we as we close down this section and uh, and indeed the the podcast. Are there any uh, sort of lesser known European leagues that that you might want to draw our attention to? Any any sides we should be uh, keeping our eye on? Well, since we talk about, you know, Juve maybe being on a downturn, Bayern being on a bit of a downturn, keep your eye on Switzerland, where Basel are also on a downturn and don't seem to be dominating the Swiss league like they have in the past decade. Aren't uh, Basel run by, uh, isn't that like one of the few only female club presidents in world football? Isn't Basel, maybe I'm mistaken, but I I think I read somewhere that uh, Basel's president is a woman. Is that true? I don't actually know. <laughs> no, I, I just I, I'm no, not one for next one for next week. For <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we'll uh, we'll look that up and we'll uh, um, uh, we'll uh, we'll have a little section next time on uh, on female club presidents. So just as we uh, as we close out, um, Nima, uh, give you an opportunity to uh, plug anything that you're you're working on, anything that you've written in the last week or so that uh, that we should be looking up, um, anything that's coming up this week, any games that you're going to be watching. Um, well, this uh, now it's it's an international break. Um, so and and it's the World Cup uh, qualifiers now, and I'm not. Uh, Sweden's got. I'm, I'm kind of focusing uh, a little bit on um, what what Sweden are doing. But other than that, to me, the international break is just a time to to kind of build up ahead of the Derby della Madonnina, the Inter Inter Milan derby, the first Inter Milanese derby in I would say almost seven eight years that has got two rejuvenated teams, two rejuvenated clubs, a rejuvenated city, which will. Which which will explode uh, on the fifteenth uh, when uh, on the fifteenth of October uh, when uh, when when they clash and it's going to be a spect- fantastic uh, uh, time for, uh, for 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 Italian football when I mean the the Milan derby is is so is so special 
uh, and on so many levels, we don't have time to talk about it now. But I can really, I would say that check out, uh, I, I would definitely check out our website to see our coverage, uh, semprinta.com for our, our co- coverage for the Mil- Milan derby. Great stuff. And uh, Matthias, let me put the same question to you. Uh, what's uh, what's been going on in your world for the last week? Uh, what should we be uh, what should we be reading? What should we be looking out for? Well, I will say, and this is probably right up your alley, given given your writing exploits. I'm actually looking forward to watching Germany against Northern Ireland in uh, World Cup qualifying. Uh, ideally, this will seal the ticket for Germany and get them through the World Cup. And uh, even better if no Dortmund players get injured in the meantime. <laughs> um, well, Marco Reus is already injured. So, you know, that's our de facto Dortmund injury during the international break that we don't have to worry about. But um, that that's actually the match I'm, I'm looking at. And, you know, I've got some work stuff going on in these next two weeks. So the international break actually comes at a very good time for me personally. Uh, yeah, it's uh, often bemoaned, but uh, but sometimes we do need that little break. Um, yep, yeah, I'm uh, uh, clearly as as a very English Ulsterman, albeit um, looking forward to that game uh, on Thursday. Uh, Northern Ireland unbeaten uh, at Windsor Park uh, for four years, haven't conceded there for two years, but uh, Germany are going to be a tough test. Um, but thank you for giving me that wonderful opportunity to segue into my own writing um if anybody wants to uh check out my book um on northern ireland uh and northern irish football and the history of northern irish football uh that came out last week uh as a paperback uh, you can get hold of that through amazon it's called gunshots and goalposts um or you can get that through my own website and uh, i'd just like to thank you to uh, gents, uh, Matthias uh, and Nima, for, for, I'm very grateful that you're able to join me um, today and, uh, and um, uh, good luck um, to your respective teams um, over the next uh, few weeks and, uh, and I hope uh, you'll join, join me again and join us again sometime soon. Thank you.